Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. On Commons People this week, Remainers turn on each other in the Commons. And her bark has been loud, particularly on the Today programme. But her actions have been far less loud. The pay cap. Is it here or has it gone? So could the Prime Minister tell us what the position is at midday today? And Labour is set for yet another hour over process. And we've held ourselves together pretty well since Theresa May called the election. And that's all at risk at this conference. All of this and more on Commons People. Hello and welcome to Commons People, HuffPost UK's politics podcast with me, Owen Bennett. This week I'm joined by Ned Simons, Paul War, and Kate Forrester and let's crack on uh, to discuss what was a very busy week in Parliament. First of all, Theresa May's controversial Brexit legislation cleared its first parliamentary hurdle this week after a clutch of Labour MPs defied Jeremy Corbyn and all those Tory Remainer MPs back to the government. Yes, just after midnight on Monday, MPs voted by 326 to 290 to give the EU withdrawal bill its second reading, as Conservatives such as Anna Subri and Ken Clark decided not to rebel against their own party. However, Corbyn faced rebellion from seven, from seven of his own Brexit MPs, including Dennis Skinner. Things got a little heated during the debate between Remain colleagues, but political party rivals, David Lammy and Anna Subri. Here's a clip. And her bark has been loud, particularly on the Today programme, but her actions have been far less loud in the days that have followed those contributions. Uh, uh, This is a moment... This is... I I will give way once more. Would the uh, Right Honourable Gentleman like to just take that back? So the bill bill went through, guys. We're not surprised about that, but we talked last week about how we thought at what point... Are these Tory Remainers going to, you know, show their teeth and actually try and change the bill or bring down the bill or whatever? And as David Lammy said in that clip, was saying, you, you, basically, you will bark no bite. And, I mean, Theresa May must be thinking, this is easy, this minority government nonsense. But it might turn out to be at no point they actually do anything. They just keep mouthing off. Well, they, they, and, I mean, they'd argue, obviously, that it's not usual at second reading uh, in parliamentary convention terms. This is early on to have too early to have a rebellion on the principle of the of the of the bill, which is what second reading is all about. And so the nitty gritty normally comes at committee stage, which is going to come after the party conference season. In, so in October, the what we saw immediately after that vote was this scramble to table all these amendments. So you've got people like Chris Leslie, you've got people like Dominic Grieve for the Tory Remainers. Um, putting down amendments, lots and lots of them, which they think could cause trouble. The question is, will they cause trouble? Or will has the government already been rather shrewd and worked out, actually, we're going to have to give a bit of a bit of ground on this thing called Henry VIII powers. And actually, at the end of the day, they're, they're factoring it in, they're banking these the sort of mini-rebellion in, and it may well buy off that rebellion. Let's see. It's funny, because when you look through the amendments, and there are a lot of amendments, one person's put in an awful lot of amendments without seeing anyone to sort of back them and that's Kerry McCarthy the Labour ah. MP I think was former shadow defra yeah 
Um, she's putting in like reams and reams of amendments with no one supporting her. I mean, fair play. I just, I just. Well, you know. I mean, why not? But I don't know. Backbench MP, you know. But the way that amendments work is the speaker, um, John Burko, decides which amendments are going to go to the vote. And there's it's sort of, there's no hard and fast rule of how he does this. But it's generally the ones that he thinks are going to, you know. Change the, change the bill particularly or have got a lot of support so some of the key basically when you look through the amendments the key ones you need to look for really are the ones that Dominic Grieve has tabled who's a former Attorney General uh, Tory MP and he's got the support most amendments by the likes of Ken Clark Anna Subri Nicky Morgan so they would say the Tory remainers that this is what we're doing we're, we're trying to actually we're not just trying to play sort of political gestures here we're trying to change the substance of the bill but I guess that the trick for Theresa May now and the whips is to try and change the bill before it goes to the vote, right? So that they don't want to be defeated. Yeah, I mean, I think they know, they've accepted that they're not going to get it through without some aspects being quite massively watered down, probably. Um, I mean, I think the the idea of it not going through on Monday was just, it sets the government on extremely shaky footing from the outset, doesn't it? So that's in, in none of the even Tory Remainers' interests, really. Um so I think, yeah, they're prepared. They're definitely prepared for uh, for lots of changes. And that's why the, the David Liddington, we talked about him last week, how unusual it was that he should even be winding up this debate. He should be closing for the government. But it worked. It was very effective because he's very emollient. He's a former Remainer. He's very good pals with people like Dominic Grieve. He's on that wing of the Tory party. He made a reason case saying, look, I hear what you're saying. We're going to listen. And he mentioned this thing called the triage system, um, which is basically the, the roots of this row between some of the Tories and the government over this, is that this bill will give too many powers to ministers to do whatever they like about, not just Brexit, but anything. Um, now, the government has said, well, we'll have this triage system whereby we'll sort out the serious cases from the trivial cases for, for statutory instruments, pieces of secondary legislation that MPs can vote on. So we'll sort out, we'll have a new system to make sure that really important stuff doesn't just get bypassed in Parliament. Now, the curious thing about that phrase is triage. You know, it suggests that Britain's been ho- <laughs> <Yeah>. hospitalised <laughs> by Brexit. Um, but I suspect that's where the, the guts of the, the Tory rebellion will sort of eventually fade, if they can be convinced by that. Can I one thing about Liddington I thought was interesting in those closing remarks he made was he made a joke about how he was a Remainer. And it struck me about how, like, really infrequently do Remainer Tory ministers actually say that you never yeah. hear Theresa May remind us that she <laughs> no. was Remainer certainly not and she a lot barely was Remainer. yeah true <laughs> but a lot of ones that really were they very rarely kind of remind us that they were but I thought Liddington did and I yeah. thought it was quite interesting that he wasn't embarrassed to say look I was on the other side but now it's true well at doing. some point maybe Philip Hammond will start doing that although <laughs> yeah, to be honest Philip Hammond doesn't need to say he's a Remainer it's obvious no, yeah. everything oh he does there was a wonderful moment this week when Philip Hammond appeared before the Economic Affairs Committee in the Lords I mean that alone is wonderful I, I, yeah. right? okay, <laughs> and um, former Chancellor Norman Lamont said to him basically are the ports, the UK's ports, adequate if they can cope with all these custom changes after Brexit? And Philip Hammond literally laughed. And, oh my goodness, no. Don't be ridiculous. No. If there are minutes, if there are mere minutes of extra customs checks, the whole thing will grind to a halt. And I was like, Phil, this is great copy. Great. But I mean, <laughs> he really is just acting completely on his own terms now, Hammond, isn't he? He feels that because he wasn't included in the election, the election went, you know, belly up so he now feels he's completely vindicated and he can just do and say 
whatever he likes. Yeah, and he's unsackable, I think. Yeah, he's completely unsackable. So he's in a great position. So he's great for Phil. Keep it up. It's great. It's great copy for us. Um, of course, this vote on Brexit wasn't the only important vote this week uh, that Theresa May had to try and navigate through. She won a crunch vote to engineer Tory majorities on key government committees. MPs voted late on Tuesday on a motion by Commons leader Andrea Leadsom, who sought to make sure that where a committee has an odd number of members, the government shall have a majority. Now, this has proven to be hugely controversial. And it seems to Paul Wall was the one who broke the story mere minutes before I was about to. Uh, talk, <laughs> me through it. talk me through it, Paul. What, what, why is this important? This is important because the, the engine room of Parliament is the things called standing committees or public bill committees. That's where, um, in, a, away from the main chamber, in all the committee corridors, the real guts of bills are, are, are pulled apart or put together. So various bits of legislation, whether it's on Brexit or anything else, will have to go through committee stage, and that's normally a small number of MPs on a committee, up to, up to 20. Now, the DUP don't have the numbers to have people on all these committees, because there's lots of them. So the government tried to say, well, actually, let's just give ourselves a majority that we didn't get in the general election. Let's just say the Tories are in a majority on all these committees, because if we're not, everything is going to grind to a halt. That's why it mattered. But I think what was significant about... Um, and the government did win the vote um, and uh, it was a feather in the cap for Andrea Leadsom in many ways and we can talk later about actually in many ways she's had a good week despite everything um, she's got her way on that Brexit vote on Monday night it worked on this on the committee of selection on committees on standing uh, committees she she got her way thanks to the DUP and also on opposition day debates uh, she's got her way we can talk about that too but I think what was interesting is that this is all about um the fact that the government doesn't have a working majority. It, it's re- dependent on the DUP. And as a result, what do you do if you haven't got a majority uh, apart from the DUP? You have fewer votes. It's simple. You haven't got a majority, so let's have fewer votes. Let's not have votes that really matter. And so it's a bit like sticks and stones will hurt my bones, uh, will break, can break my bones, but names will never hurt me. And it, this is the equivalent, which is, you know, votes on legislation will break my bones, but um, if you... Call me names in an opposition day debate or in various other things, then that will never hurt me. And that's what this was about because, on legislation where it matters, standing committees are what matter. So, opposition day debates, I mean, essentially, the government has said they're not going to take part in them anymore. Yeah, that was the so big. So, when, so, when the Labour Party have an opposition day debate or something and, uh, and the, they put a motion and the Speaker says, All those in favour say aye, all those in favour say no. There's going to be no Tories now saying no. Exactly. So it will just be carries. There'll be no votes. Yeah. Be, and so that's what happened this week on the NHS uh, pay rise and on tuition fees. Labour had these two big opposition day motions and they, they basically, uh, they're used to try and box in the government and MPs and say to Tory MPs, look, you either voted for or against putting up tuition fees. You voted for or against a, a pay rise for the poor nurses out in the country. Now, the government have said... Basically, uh, and they talked to us about this yesterday off the record, that they don't want this anymore. It's just pure stunts, it's pure parliamentary theatre. Why should they buy into it? And so they're going to allow these motions to be carried. It's kind of strange. You can see why they're doing it. They're trying to focus all their efforts on, you know, a lot of the Tory MPs were up late on Monday night. They were very busy on Tuesday. And they're desperately trying to say to the Tory MPs, look, we'll, we won't whip you on things other than things that matter. So, you know, you can, we're not going to kill you. And I think that's why on the, you can see why they're doing it. But a lot of traditionalists would say, look, this is just pure contempt for Parliament. Uh, let's move on to uh, P 
PMQs now because there was a. It was. I mean, it was. It was pretty tedious this week. Let's be honest. There wasn't much theatre in it, but there was some good lines from Jeremy Corbyn, and there's him talking about the pay cap being axed. At the weekend, Mr. Speaker, we were told that the public sector pay cap had been dropped. On Monday, the Prime Minister's spokesperson said it would continue as planned. Yesterday, they said the pay cap was over. But later found out that uh, we found out that police and prison officers still face a real terms pay cut. So could the Prime Minister tell us what the position is at midday today? <laughs> and now here's Theresa May's uh, response to that, and we'll discuss the response to her response afterwards. Here's a clip of that. Indeed, a calculation suggests that a new police officer in 2010, thanks to uh, progression pay and annual uh, basic salary increases and the increase in the personal allowance that is a tax cut for people, are actually over, and have actually seen an increase in their pay of over £9,000 since 2010, a real terms increase of 32%. So Theresa May's there comments about the 32% real terms pay increase uh, was she basically was accused of, of telling a downright lie by Callum McLeod, who's the vice chair of the Police Federation, which represents 120,000 rank and file officers. He he said, yeah, it's, it, the fact they've had a 32% pay rise since 2010 is a joke and is in fact a downright lie. So um, I mean, is Theresa May just taken now just just to because we had this before when she misrepresented, if I'm being generous, the Lord's Committee on Constitutional matters who talked about um this bill the brexit bill being fine and they came out the next day and said no no we never said that and now she's saying this i mean what's this is not a good precedent right yeah it's a bit weird that because you know she said oh new police officers that um joined the force in 2010 they've had because of they've had because of their pay rises they've had and because of the personal allowance changes that means that this you know they've had this pay rise but that kind of ignores every other measure taken by government and that's what the police federation was so angry about and it's just not a good look you know if you say something and again like you say you get just get called a liar it's i don't it seemed a bit careless and, and it was is, ned huff post who had that that downright lie quote and, first and the fact right. is why would you if you if you're convinced that everyone's getting these massive pay rises why are you going to scrap scrap the pay <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean? why is like, it needed if they've got it, like why yeah. is it needed I mean, okay. I mean, how does this? I mean, a Labour playing a, a smart game on this, or because because they're gonna they're gonna get rid of the pay cap, right? But they're saying that the, the, what was offered to you know prison officers and the like was below uh, inflation, basically below cost of living. So they're saying even though they've broken the the, the to pay cap, it's still not enough. But does it look a little bit like oh, you just you're always gonna want more? Is there is there a sort of fine political line they've got to? Pl- I think they've played it quite well so far. I think somebody from Corbyn's office said the government have basically admitted that there's a huge problem, but they're completely failing to solve it. So I think if they just carry on kind of pushing along those lines, then it's going to work. I mean, they've got they've got to talk about. I think there's was there a debate yesterday about nurses' pay, or is this later in the week? Um, and that's obviously going to be a huge issue. Um, the RCN are already, you know, being quite vocal about um, about that. So I think if Labour keeps on pushing and saying, you know, the government is obviously, it's obviously already, already identified that this is a problem. Now, what are you going to do about it? They're going to have to cave to pressure in the end, I think. Yeah, and it comes back to my point, which is that, w- that the main weapons oppositions have are, are words that you can embarrass governments with, with your rhetoric or, or what you say in the chamber. But also you can embarrass them with votes. And um, given that you don't have the opposition day 
option now. PMQs is the perfect way to say, look, are you really on the side of the workers or is this just you forced into the inevitable by the voters who are really angry about this seven years pay freeze for, for many, many people who they think really should get a proper pay rise, whether it's teachers or nurses or, you know, and or also, I think in PMQs as well. I mean, I don't think I don't think Corbyn was necessarily that good in that session of PMQs. But Theresa May tripped herself up with that claim about the 32% that then was attacked after after PMQs happened. So I think it's the dynamic of PMQs has changed where they're both quite bad at it, but May just seems mm. to now, like last time, messing up. And she it wasn't Corbyn that made her do that. She did it herself. And she also um, made some kind of comment about the, the need to balance fairness to public sector workers to f- with fairness to taxpayers. And then obviously kind of added as an afterthought, obviously some public sector yeah. workers are taxpayers. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yes, they are. There's also uh, something in the, which I noticed. That David Cameron used to have this great trick you see to Ed Miliband, and it was always, you know, unemployment down, you know, jobs up. Yeah. Know, and, and, all, and all the MPs behind him would go down and up at the right time. And Theresa May sort of half tried to do that and <laughs> no one was yeah. sure whether to join in and the MPs didn't know what, where she was going and then she sort of ran out of stats. And it was just like, it was just so poorly choreographed. And also, most annoyingly, that God. joke she made about Michael Fabrican, who she said oh. was going on oh. celebrity first dates. And she said, I don't know if you're the celebrity or the first date, yeah. which um. doesn't make sense as a joke. <laughs> it really wound me up. Doesn't make sense, as a, not even as a joke. <laughs> no. no. Um, but the curious thing about the pay cap, and it's worth remembering this, is that the government are trying to get out of a, a hole here by saying, look, we'll, we'll look for evidence, see if there's a problem with recruitment and retention in key areas. And the Treasury are desperate not to spend a lot of money, so they want evidence. But And this all goes through some things called these independent pay review bodies. But it's worth remembering that 3 million public sector workers are not covered by independent pay review bodies. They're there for doctors and nurses. They're there for you know teachers. They're there for police. But they're not there for quite large numbers of public sector workers who get missed in this debate. And that's a problem for the government because... What's the evidence they're going to have for recruitment and retention for those? They haven't. They won't have any sort of forum through which to do it, like a pay body. So they're going to, if they really, really want to call off these strike threats, they're going to have to do an across-the-board pay rise for everyone. But also, and how do you justify that as a conservative? But the other thing as well is that a lot of these people who work in the public sector are not public sector workers. So you know, you 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 contract out your cleaning services to a private company. Those cleaners are then not classed as public sector workers, they're classed as private sector workers, but they might be earning terrible money and not had their wages go up at all. So actually, all the, all the people who serve food in hospitals, that kind of thing, so they're taken off the books of public sector workers because they're not paid for by the state directly, but they haven't had the pay, you know, they haven't had the pay rise either probably. And I know it's a slightly separate issue, but those people, when you think about who provides services, those people are all a real part of it. Um, let's move on to Labour now and... Um, the row is a brewing about, about how the next, next Labour leader is going to be picked. Um, now, Kate Forrester, who I believe is sitting here, hello Kate, has a good little tale she's going to tell us in a minute. But first, let's listen to uh, Richard Angel, who is the guy in charge of Progress, which is seen as the kind of Blairite group within the Labour Party, although we won't be calling him that. I spoke to him earlier this week about his concerns uh, about this proposed change to, to the leadership rules to make it much easier for sort of anyone, basically any MP, to stand for leader. Uh, here's a, a clip of him now. What seems um, concerning is the leadership are intent to debate rule change after rule change that will change the Labour Party that's, by the, necess- by, by, the, by the nature of these things, is divisive. And we've held ourselves together pretty well since Theresa May called the election, and that's all at risk at this conference. In the piece you, you wrote for us, you talked about how the people currently in charge of the Labour Party have had decades standing outside of, of, of the party selling 
uh, newspapers and that kind of stuff. So surely now they're you know, in charge of the party, surely they've got every right to say, look, you kept us out for so long, we're, we're in charge now, we've got a manifesto which you said is, is you know, really good in, in places, surely now's the absolute perfect time to sort of make sure that this kind of system stays and, and it doesn't go back to a system which they feel wasn't delivering, wasn't representative of Labour members, Labour voters. The new establishment have absolutely got the right to try and take control um, of the Labour Party for their faction and their factional interests, but they can't pretend that that is consequence-free uh, and that it isn't one that's going to get people rightly exercised and having that debate. What's been interesting about the Labour Party since Theresa May put the podium outside Downing Street is how we have come together, how we focus on the policies, how we focus on how we're a better alternative than the Tories. And this just sends that all back. But isn't it, isn't it only going to be consequences if people like yourself and the, and the group that you work for push back against it? If you just accept it, if you accept this is the, the, the will of the leadership, therefore it should be respected, then there would be no consequences. So really, it's you're the ones that are going to do, do this. Well, they're the first movers, aren't they? They get to decide if they want to put something down that's going to make us unnecessarily divide. It doesn't have to be considered by this conference. Um, I do have a strong opinion on it uh, uh, for, for a, a different view. I don't, I don't think we should move to a situation where you could have 19 candidates in a future leadership election. I don't think we should have candidates that are barely unknown in their own household, let alone in the country or, or, or wider parliament. And I do believe in a system of parliamentary democracy where the candidate that we choose to be leader of the Labour Party has got to not just be a kind of voice against the Tories, but able to replace them. And that means they've got to be able to take their colleagues with them. So I, these are high principles on both sides. But we don't have to be having that row now. They've got the power that they've got under the current rules. They're trying to lock down their faction's interests. Are you not trying to lock down your faction's interests, though, by, by keeping this system? Obviously, there's the barrier in place. 15% of MPs have nominated candidates. So the idea is you get someone from the PLP um, who's got support of the PLP, which Jeremy Corbyn didn't have. Famous, you know, and he, and he just squeaked onto the ballot. So why aren't you trying to lock down your faction's interests? Why are your faction's interests more... Sacred than, than theirs. Well, I, I, I don't think trying to win the British public is a factual interest. It is. We need to have a Labour Party that respects the parliamentary rules that we have, and that the reason why it was founded to bring about a form of parliamentary socialism, and that's what um, we will be defending at this conference. So I think it's very important um, principle in the scheme of things. Whether they change the rules this year or next year or whatever seems to me to be. Um, a secondary priority, whether we are able to get a real glove on the Tories, who it seems to me are, you know, are, are, are really coming up against it. They find themselves wanting on on the, the main issue of Brexit and they don't have the bandwidth to deal with any of the policy issues that aren't Brexit. Says Richard Angel there and hot off the press, Kate Forrester has a great little story here about, um, well, talk me through it, Kate, about how this, this, is, this is coming to a real head now, isn't it? So, there's a lot of motions that are proposed at Labour Conference. Um, so basically, they can, they can propose motions for potential rule changes and they can propose ones that are going to be debated as rule ch- potential rule changes this year, but they can also propose motions to be talked about next year. So there's a huge list of um, motions put forward by CLPs, constituency Labour parties, um, of ways to basically change the um, the election process for leader and deputy leader. And one of them that's been proposed by 21 different CLPs from across the country is um, replacing the requirement for candidates to get 15% of the PLP so that's MPs and MEPs backing them for leader to get on the ballot. Replace that with a requirement to either get 15% of the PLP or 
15% of affiliated unions or 15% of CLPs, constituency Labour parties. Now, this is not likely to get the backing of the party leadership, obviously, but it's very interesting in that it sort of represents the growing number, the growing support for putting more power in members' hands. So... That's, I mean, that is interesting because so far the debate has focused on will they lower it from 15% to 5%. Most people accept that's not going to get support. So that's in there as well. There's going to be lots of people pushing it. But what is interesting is whether or not they're going to lower it to 10%, which a lot of people think is where the action is, or whether or not they will widen the franchise, as, as Kate suggests in these motions, um, to say, actually, it shouldn't just be up to MPs to have a veto on who becomes their leader, who nominates the leader. It should be up to trade unions. It should be up to party members. This is 15% of trade unions, affiliated trade unions, right? Yeah. yeah. So basically, Len McCluskey, in theory, could just put himself on the ballot. <laughs> no, well, you could, no, surely you have to be an MP. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah you joking. No, um, but Len McCluskey could, in theory, put someone else on the ballot. Yeah, Len McCluskey could, could put someone right, on the ballot. John McDonnell, you're on. Yeah, and, and then yeah. with no other MP supporting yeah. him. Yeah, and he'd win. Yeah. But there's another, even more interesting motion that Kate spotted as well, isn't there? Um, there is, um, in terms of... How to widen the democracy within the party. So... Oh, it's a bad idea, but go on. Uh, <laughs> hey, uh, there is a proposal... Um, for next year, again, um, to elect the general secretary of the party, which is a very big deal. Um, who, 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 who to elect the general secretary? For the membership, for the membership. To, to, elect, to elect the general secretary. That's a really yeah. big deal. I mean, can you imagine that? Then that would be game, set and match for Jeremy Corbyn John and everyone around him. <laughs> because party. basically, you know, well, the way this has happened in the past, let's be honest, let's not be too sort of um, uh, starry-eyed about it. Uh, various Labour leaders engineer who they want to be their general secretary by choosing roughly uh, a small shortlist of union leaders, normally former trade union leaders. And then it's hammered out amongst the trade unions, like who, who's going to get it? Um, uh, it's Ian McNichol, who wasn't the first choice for, for um, Ed Miliband, but he is, has certainly proved his, his sort of uh, his metal in recent years, as far as many Labour MPs are concerned. Um, but a lot of the membership don't like Ian McNichol. They think that he sort of excluded a lot of people from the party leadership vote in 2015 and 16. And they think that he's been uh, in charge of some kind of purge of the left. Now, that's why... What a successful purge has been. <laughs> <laughs> That's why some people around Jeremy Corbyn would like to get rid of Ian McNichol. This would be the perfect vehicle for doing it. Because who would be against democracy? It's very hard to argue against democracy, don't forget, within the Labour Party. This motion also would ensure that there's always a woman on the ballot as well. There's a lot of motions in here to ensure more women get on all the ballots. Which is interesting. And inclusively, more women as deputy leader. There's one motion from one local party which does follow up on what Len McCluskey was saying this week, that you could have two deputy leaders, not just Tom Watson, but an elected female deputy leader. Uh, Here's my little rant of the week, right? Oh, here we go. So a lot we should of people, have a jingle for this. Yeah, a go. lot of people are moaning about the way that Corbyn's trying to consolidate power. Okay, number one, as you said, all leaders try to consolidate power. It's just what you do as a leader, right? So for the people on the right of the party to get annoyed about this, I frankly I'm a bit like, yeah, all right then, mate. It's because you only have got levers of power. But the other side of it, Corbyn and that lot, all these years moaning about people trying to consolidate power. Now they've got in there and they're doing exactly the same thing. Their whole operation is just as bad as anything Alistair Campbell ever did. They're called, you know, dictatorial. Ah, but it's the members driving it. Come on, everyone needs to just 
you know. <laughs> I mean, Ned was there this <laughs> week. Yeah, I think you so were at the moderates God meeting, sake, weren't you? Talking of the yeah, the I guess the so-called right of the party. It was really interesting that this, they had this big event in Parliament, kind of looking forward to Labour conference with kind of uh, Blairites, you know, so-called Blairite MPs. Were they looking forward to it? Well, not really, <laughs> no. Um, and it was interesting that the atmosphere at this event was very sort of basically we've lost. I think in the last two years it was sort of fight. You'd have, you know, MPs like Wes Streeting, John Speller, um, Alison McGovern, all the people in the moderate wing of the party who there was an argument. It was very clear that their argument was, you know, vote against motions at conference we disagree with. We're not going to win the vote, but vote just to show we're still there. There was a, kind of a resignation oh, that the left that the left is in charge now. Yeah. They've, they've clearly accepted that. But just, I think, as the left, when the right was in charge, they're saying, but don't go away. Yeah. We've got to hang around, yeah. make sure that motions don't pass unanimously, just, just, just so we can show we haven't run away. And there's a, that's it was true. very interesting. There's a real role reversal. You know, mm. the left used to always be accused by Blairites of pure gesture politics. You know you're not going to win this vote, but you say, well, why are you doing it? That's exactly what people in on the so-called centrist bit of the party now are saying, look, we've got to make a stand. We won't win, but we've got to make a stand to show we're here. And that's why I think it just lays bare some of the failures of organisation, fortunately, for the centrists uh, throughout the country. <clears throat> because in recent weeks, uh, lots of delegates for local Labour parties have been elected by momentum. Momentum have been driving this. They've been maximising and mobilising the support they've got for the first time properly in local parties. That's why at party conference, when we go next week, you're going to see a, a, a massive number of delegates, a, like a tripling of the number of delegates there. So much so that Labour uh, are already warning us that we're not going to be actually, those members of the media, allowed on the floor of conference. We'll have to be up in the balcony. And there might be a story in that. Um, but it just shows just how this is. To get served at the bars then <laughs> this shows how it's basically back in the hands of the members conference and that's when i talk about organization um the, the meeting the moderate meetup that that ned went to this week it was interesting because it was packed that meeting you know it was more packed than the plp meeting i was outside just a few doors down in the committee corridor um but that air of resignation follows um, the fact that they are being outmaneuvered locally. And traditionally, the Blairites have never been good at organising themselves. I mean, Blair, p- people around Blair were tearing their hair out. When he was in his zenith in from ninety seven to 2001, he did very little to consolidate his power locally. Gordon Brown, however, has been a master fixer. He knows how organisations work. He knows how to work with unions. But even he, through this group, Labour First, which I don't think they would mind me saying as a sort of sort of brown art organisation working with the Blairite Progress Group. Even together, they have been outmaneuvered by momentum. And that's really why we are where we are. Ringo Starr's had an opinion. Ah! Right. Oh, no. From Beverly oh, Hills. God. People say this I sound gonna... like him. <laughs> <laughs> say Thomas pulled into the station. No. <laughs> say Yellow Submarine. No, it's the Thomas Tank Engine. Yeah. D- mm, Thomas pulled into the station. A little no, bit. It's sort not, of. Not really. Yeah. Yellow submarine will be good though. Yeah. yeah. I feel this like is, this, is not, this is not what common speakers are bullying. <laughs> no, no, no. It's just anyway, he's, he's basically said Brexit, get on with it. He said the people voted. Did you vote? Well, I, I didn't vote, but you know, if I, if I could have voted, I would have voted to leave. Like you left the country. Yeah, but anyway, so basically, Ringo Starr's had an opinion. Here's some other things celebrities have had opinions about. Oh, okay. If it's not true, no, if it's true, Pete forever. What? If it's true, Pete forever. What? A Pete what? forever. What? If it's not true, Ringo never. Pete, I Pete don't forever? Understand. What does that mean? I don't mean? remember the, the chant. When they sat Pete Best and got him Ringo Starr, uh, the chant was Pete uh, forever, Ringo never. Uh, oh, okay. 
Okay. Okay. Yeah, 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 I do yeah, remember sure. that, Owen. I was there in 1962. Right, okay. So, is Tony Hadley <laughs> a patron of a refugee ballet dancers organisation? God, I hate you so much. Whoa. Um, I, I'd say yes. Tony so Hadley. Yeah. In so 2015. Is that, is that Ringo Forever? Uh, Pete, forever. Pete Forever. So Pete Forever rather than... Ringo, Ringo Never. Ringo Never is not so true. So Pete Forever is true? Yeah. Okay. Pete Forever. Pete Forever. I'm going Ringo Never. It is Ringo Never. Yes. Oh, <laughs> you made it up. Okay. So cruel. Liam Gallagher supporting the Bees campaign. Save the Bees campaign. <laughs> <laughs> 2009. No. I don't no. think that's 2009. true. 2009? Yeah. Liam. Liam not Gallagher. Noel. Not Noel. William I, Gallagher. I don't think he cares about Bees. No, neither do I. Bees the symbol of Manchester. Oh, true. So oh. Yeah. Maybe he was smart enough to go for it. So I'm going to say Pete forever. Oh, I said no. I yeah. think Paul's right, but I said no, so I'll stick with yeah, no. Yeah, I'll stick with no. But Paul is right for ah. reasons. He came ah. out in support of a campaign to save the honeybees because he... Um, Loves honey? Yeah, because he helps him cure a sore throat. Oh, really? The Oasis is about oh. to form. Wow. At the festival for the band split. The bees are vanishing. We've got to save them before they all buzz off. It's important. It's a really worthwhile cause, Liam told the son. He added, without them, we're in proper bother. <laughs> Before they all buzz off, yeah, he exactly. actually said that. Yeah, that wasn't the sun sub. Ooh, Liam Gallagher is a smart man. writing it. Leonardo DiCaprio supporting homeless people in Edinburgh. Hmm. Mm. Um. I'd yes, I'd say yes. Pete forever. Yeah, Pete forever. Like he filmed a film there once. Probably yeah, passed through the did. festival. In 2016, he paid a visit to a restaurant which was run by um, people with homeless backgrounds, and he was served a meal there. George Clooney's also eaten there, so there we are. Mm. Cool. And finally, <laughs> thank God. Thank God. Is Gordon Ramsay <laughs> patron of a dancing bear sanctuary in Kazakhstan? <laughs> no. No, it's not. <laughs> oh, I really would <laughs> hope this to be true, but I suspect it's Ringo After never. After a visit to the country in 2005, he's become aware of the bear's plight. Shut up. Is he? You tell me. I'm going to say no, Ringo never. I don't believe it. Kate, look into my eyes, Kate. <laughs> not around my eyes, into my eyes. <laughs> I don't believe you. No. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not true. It's, oh. not, it's not true, but there we are. So that was this week's quiz. Never do it that again. Good. <laughs> All the eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. That was uh, Pete Forever of Ringo Never. Yeah, well, that's better than last week's. No, what was last week's? I can't. It was terrible. I forgot. No, it wasn't. It was right, it was right in the country on things. Yeah, it's a bit. Uh, yeah. I oh, come on. That was, like, this is nonsense. That the, nah, like, I fast forwarded through it when I listened that back. That was a very. You listen back? Yeah, just to, you know. You fast forwarded? Yeah. Brilliant. Through the quiz. Right. So it's been a bit It's been a bit lacking this week, isn't it? There's oh, thanks. Thanks very much. Cheers. Well, Next week's Lib Dem conference. Yeah, Ned's, Ned's going to be there. Come oh, on. Yeah, come on, Ned. Talk to and that's, that's about energy, isn't it? Talk to me. Give me. Give me. I mean, okay, right. Go on. It's happening. It's in Bournemouth. What's going to happen? Where is it? Bournemouth. Bournemouth, yeah. Right. Lovely. What's your what's your what's your feelers telling you? Well, the, thing about the, feelers? <laughs> the thing about the Dems is, because they've only got like thirteen MPs, it's, it's a bit just what's you know they they're a bit it's a bit dry. They've <laughs> got, to be honest, like I've got my, not my, not got much to say about them. They're not in like a particularly bad place, they're not a particularly oh, happy on. place. How's Dr. Vince getting on though? 
fine, I think. Is he though? I mean, in the context of the Lib Dems, yeah. But the fact he was kind of elected leader by default means there's not that much energy behind his leadership. And he's not new. It's Vince Cable. Everyone knows who he is. Yeah. People kind of assume maybe he's only going to be there for a couple of years and let Joe Swinson take over closer to the election, even though, of course, he denies that. So they do feel they're in a bit of a holding pattern where they haven't really got much to do. And they obviously talk about Brexit a lot, but now Labour's changed its position on Brexit quite significantly to yeah. become way more kind of remainy. That's stolen a lot of their thunder as well, because even things like getting on telly, you can book a Labour politician now. I will say this though about the Lib Dems: their press office is very good. They're it's always very good. getting yeah, yeah, yeah. about things. I have, I have funny insight. Oh. You want me to say it? <laughs> what? Just generally, in yeah, just, yeah, yeah, just generally. Let me get a jingle for so, this. Go on. Right. The Lib Dem press office—they are very good. Yeah. They are very, very fond, and Labour are very fond of their own specific phrases in press releases. So Labour always say, and I promise you'll notice this when I say it: everything is a damning indictment. Right. right. Everything okay. from Labour is a damning yeah, indictment of this Tory government, yeah, right? Yeah. Do you know what the Lib Dems love? A wake up call. Uh, <laughs> Everything is a wake up yeah, call. This true. should be a wake up call. They love alarms. Yeah. Nick Clegg loved alarm clock Britain. That's true. They're the true. only party in the country that love alarms. So they're up really early, <laughs> sending yeah. lots of press releases. That's good. I mean, their press office is great, but it yeah. didn't help them that much in the election. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's only so much they could do. <laughs> but they're good. Okay, so you're gonna you're gonna report back from yeah, loads of stuff. You're gonna take line. your little dictaphone down and yeah. record. Yeah, Glee, record. Can we go to the Glee Club. Uh, if only if I have to, because it is. Yes, you have wor- to. I'm worst. sorry. It's I'm sorry. But what? It's what, the what, worst no, thing ever. Ghost. I'm no, telling you now, if, other, if I find out other organisations have been to Lee Club you're and gonna, recorded you're gonna funny what? things, I'm going <laughs> to <laughs> do things to you that you won't like. Don't stop looking at me. Right. Oh no, not That's the eye too contact much eye again. Contact. Yeah. So you're going to Lee Club. Listeners, mm. listen, listening, next week, Ned is going to tell I us might. what it was like at Lib Dem Glee Club. Yeah, I'm making the up. The songs are always no, the same. No, I want you to record it. No, don't come over and I'm going to They're always the same. Listen to me. Anyway, the, right. the, on, the, there is one winner this week, though, on, on the Lib Dem front, and it's Sarah Olney. Yes. Why? Oh, yeah. Because Fancy Sarah Olney, drop. who's one of Britain's shortest lived MPs in Richmond Park, having won the by-election and getting beaten by Zach Goldsmith, has emerged this week as Vince Cable's chief of staff. I absolutely loved when they announced <laughs> that, that was her really? job. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In, the, in the press release from the excellent Lib Dem press office, it's described her as by-election winner. Sarah Olney, <laughs> not, not general election loser. I love that. Sarah Winning oh, here. Yeah. I saw her in Parliament the other day and I wonder what she was doing knocking about. Yeah. Oh, she's, she's just like the Gavin Barwell of... Yeah, she is. Yeah. But without the there you go. She's down the street. more smiley. She's more go. smiley. But then she did that weird sort of porn thing with Tom Brake. Oh no! No, it wasn't. No, yeah. no, 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 no. Right, I, I think know what you're trying to do. Yeah, yeah. Just Google it. Just yeah, yeah it, just Google it. Don't worry. It not at work. It wasn't porn. It was just okay. We're gonna leave that there. I'm gonna get coffee. Right. Okay. See you later, everyone, and uh, we'll see you next week. See you next week. Bye. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.